This is a conspiracy channel. Tape 1. Welcome to the Hush Channel. Located at 1114 Fountain Drive, Atlanta, Georgia, is a small, cozy brick house constructed in 1945, which initially had three bedrooms and six rooms total. In the fall of 1987, 1114 Fountain Drive had been occupied by Willie and Minnie Clyde Winston for 22 years. Minnie was 77 and William was 79 years old, and they had three adult children. Minnie spent most of her days taking care of Willie, who was poor in health due to his failed kidneys, due to which he underwent dialysis regularly. On the evening of Tuesday, September 8th, Minnie finished cleaning the house and the Winstons locked their doors and set the security alarm around 9.30 p.m. Minnie assisted Willie with getting ready for bed, got her bedtime clothes out, and began running a nice hot bath for herself. Minnie was soaking in her bath for what must have been around an hour, just decompressing from the day. And at around 11.30 p.m., Minnie would step out of the tub like usual, except there was something wet underneath her foot. And not like water wet, something much slicker, stickier, thicker. She could feel it between her toes. It did not feel like water. It felt weird. She immediately looked down to see what was going on and what she saw was something crimson red that was seeping through the bathroom towel like sprinklers. It was like something out of a nightmare or horror movie. Except when he initially just assumed that something must have bust and began calling Willie's name and naturally tried to get the substance off her foot by using the bath mat. But it was too soaked in the substance itself. So many hurriedly rushed to get from inside the bathroom and out into the hallway into the bedroom to tell Willie. But to many's dismay, the substance was everywhere. It was in the hallways, the kitchen, the living room, the bedroom, the basement, the crawl space, all the floors and all the walls, drenching the living room area carpet, seeping through every single crap and crevice of the residence. This was not the result of pipes bursting. The substance was not muddied water. It was blood. Blood coming out of absolutely nowhere. The house itself was bleeding. She ran to Willie and they called 911 and both the EMTs and the police were in obvious shock. They looked at Willie and they looked at Minnie and realized neither of them were bleeding. Willie even verbally told them in a panic that he was not bleeding, his wife was not bleeding, and nobody else was in the house. The police began investigating and saw that Willie was right. Nobody else was there. The alarm had not been triggered. No crime had been committed inside the house. No bodily remains were present. There was absolutely no explanation for where all the blood was coming from. Hemodialysis is a machine that removes blood from your body and filters it through an artificial kidney called a dialyser, then returns the clean blood to your body. It is a three to five hour process that can be done at a hospital, dialysis center, or at home. Upon further analysis, lab tests were ran on the blood seeping through the surfaces of the Winston's home. The blood was type O, and both the Winston's had type A blood. The blood did not come from the malfunctioning of dialysis equipment. It was virtually impossible anyways as there was just way too much of it, and it was absolutely everywhere just bleeding through continuously. There was no way that that blood was from the Winston's. Nobody had ever seen nor heard anything like it and it was extremely weird because technically they could not even figure out where there was even a crime to be investigated. The Winston's were adamant and refused to be forced out of their home out of fear due to the incident. Willie would die just two years later in 1989. Many would live on to be 104 years old passing away in 2015. The walls of the house were never reported to bleed again. However, there is one interesting theory to consider upon further investigation of the history of the home and its previous occupant. When police decided to investigate the previous occupants of the home on 1114 Fountain Drive, they found out the previous occupants were Albert Thompson and his wife. Albert was black. 
just like the Winstons were. But Albert worked as the Regional Racial Relations Director for the Federal Housing Authority. He was tasked with monitoring fair practices around Atlanta. One day in 1950, Albert was driving west at the intersection of Mitchell and Davis Street when a southbound truck T-boned him. The white truck driver who T-boned Albert, however, suffered zero injury. Albert was treated and sent back to the house on Fountain Drive with internal bleeding. A newspaper article covering the accident ensured to note that Albert Thompson was a Negro man. Meanwhile, the white truck driver who was responsible for Albert's injuries was not charged with anything and was let off with just a warning for improper brakes, of which the driver claimed caused the accident. The event was swept under the rug while the victim suffered on Fountain Drive with internal bleeding, wounds hidden and ignored. Albert would eventually die from internal bleeding. Some believe the house bleeding was connected to Albert's fate, as the blood appeared to the Winstons when the anniversary of the car accident and Albert's death on Halloween were less than a month away. TrulyAdventure.us tells the following about an incident that occurred just days before the blood began to run in the Winston residence, where less than half a mile away, a white Fulton County deputy was looking to serve a warrant on a black suspect. The suspect fled. As the deputy searched, a car was driving in his direction. The deputy opened fire, striking the black driver, Lamar Montgomery, 19 years old, in the head. The car crashed into a brick wall, shattering windows in a building. Neither Montgomery nor the others in the car had been suspect for whom the deputy had been searching. Montgomery was taken to Grady County Hospital, the same hospital that Albert Thompson was rushed to years earlier after his car collision, the same hospital that neglected his injuries and sent him home with internal bleeding, of which he later died. The deputy claimed that Montgomery had tried to run him down with his car, but the sheriff's department found that at least one shot was fired after the car had already passed the officer, piercing the back windshield. Montgomery, meanwhile, died inside the hospital. The shooting and the outcry that followed were part of a very familiar and tragic pattern. The capital of Georgia, Atlanta, shimmers with tall skyscrapers that disappear into the clouds. But below, the facade of innovation and diversity is a history of anger and violence towards the black community. In fact, 81 years prior to the Bleeding House incident, for two days starting on September 22, 1906, was the offset of the Atlanta race riot where white mobs, which included civilians and cops, strung up black residents and left them to hang and swing from lampposts. Whites said that they were fed up with the black population taking all the jobs. Black businesses were burned to the ground, leaving behind smoldering nubs, which in some cases became some people's final resting place. Black citizens were shot and stabbed where they stood in the streets. Some were simply on the streetcars when they were dragged from their seats and murdered in the middle of the riot. Their excuse for rioting against blacks was that four white women were allegedly raped by black men. A classic cliche scenario of white women tears that has historically caused the massacre of black individuals and entire communities throughout American history. However, it was all fabricated, and a few of the women even stated that no such thing had ever happened to them. Unofficial reports indicated anywhere from 10 to 100 black people were slaughtered. Blood of black Atlanteans literally spilled all across the streets of the city. The true catalyst of the riot was the black innovation and progress in the city, eventually giving it the nickname of being the Black Mecca. Blacks had somehow managed to make gains economically despite segregation, which had shut out black folks from white businesses, markets, churches, schools, neighborhoods, and institutions altogether. So blacks established their own communities with such things. The whites of Atlanta had felt as though black people were becoming too uppity and taken over. News reports of the massacre spread throughout the entire United States and Europe, but much of the coverage was inaccurate because Atlantan officials minimized the degree of death and destruction that actually occurred just to spare the city's reputation and protect its business interests. 
Segregation and racial violence left black Atlanteans to a float adrift with nowhere to go, putting officials such as Albert Thompson in the 1950s in a position to try to advocate for equality in housing, pleading with the federal government to meet the needs of people rather than just force them into increasingly worse circumstances. As the city's demographics changed and became more ethnic, the separation of whites and blacks grew, and things got bloodier. This led some to believe that the house on Fountain Drive was a portal of pain for fatal victims of deep-rooted racism in the surrounding area. The mystery remains unsolved. End of tape one.